Life Radio. Stories at the intersection of music and life. Kurt, it's Dan Sauter. How you doing? How you doing, man? All right. Hey, thanks again for uh, being part of the program. I really appreciate it. Hey, no, my pleasure. Hey, sorry I'm late today, man. Just today got kind of got away from me. Hey, stuff like that happens. It's no big deal. Yeah, the joys of self-employment. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so, yeah, what do you do, actually? Are you a producer? Yep. Do you, you run your own recording studio and stuff? Yep. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Yeah, gotcha. exactly. Yep. Yeah. So yeah, I get to stay in the. I'm fortunate enough to stay in the industry for a living. So. <laughs> and so you have to work with other musicians, and they're never finicky or anything like that. Never. They? No, it's always it's always exactly how it's planned. <laughs> exactly. Hello and welcome to Music Life Radio. I'm your host, Dan Sauter. Music Life Radio is a free podcast available on iTunes and your interwebs at musicliferadio.com and features stories and interviews about and related to music. Today on the program we feature Kurt Vanderhoof. Kurt is a musician well known as a guitarist and songwriter of the pioneering heavy metal band Metal Church. Sometimes referred to as the other Kurt from Aberdeen, Washington, he has played in many groups including the Lude, Hall of Flame, Vanderhoof, and Presto Ballet. In all aspects of his music, he strives for an organic and pure sound, relying on musicianship and real instruments to craft his songs. We talk with Kurt about his early days in Aberdeen, his move to Seattle to join the punk band The Lude, how Metal Church was formed, and why after the first two Metal Church albums, he began getting interested more in production and songwriting than live performance. We also talk about his latest project, Presto Ballet, a throwback to 1970s progressive rock, combining elements of Yes, Rush, and Kansas, among others, into a new blend of progressive rock. Sit back and relax to another episode of Music Life Radio, this one entitled Relic of a Modern World, Kurt Vanderhoof. What we like to do is try to capture a kind of like living history of folks that are uh, involved with the program and I what I'd like to know is uh, you know where did you grow up what kind of music were you influenced by we're talking about early childhood what were your parents listening to uh, what was the kind of music that influenced you in your early early childhood uh, first influences my first memory is the Beatles on Ed, the Ed Sullivan show and I grew up in Aberdeen Washington um, where I'm actually staying right now I'm renovating uh, the house I grew up in, actually, at the moment. Oh, nice. Uh, so I grew, grew up in Aberdeen, Washington. I'm the other Kurt from Aberdeen. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, uh, yeah, I did that, and first memory is the Beatles on Ed Sullivan, but I was fortunate enough to have uh, my parents work in radio, and they worked in a radio station here, and at that time they were playing adult contemporary stuff, which certainly wasn't rock. So my dad would bring home all the promo stuff, all the Beatles stuff and the Stones and all the stuff they'd get as promo, 
oh, wow. record companies, but that, that they couldn't play. Yeah. So I had, I just had access to tons of music growing up. <laughs> so it was all promo stuff. You know, they were playing Ray Conniff and Percy Faith on the radio, but they were getting the Beatles records and the Stones and, you know, all that stuff in the, you know, in promo, but they didn't play it. So he just brought it home to me. So that was very, so I had tons of music going on for all of that. You know, in my very young years, that's what, that's what it was. Wow. That's amazing. I mean, were those things that you were able to share with the kids that you were growing up with? Oh yeah, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. So when did you first start playing music? I started playing drums when I was five and I played drums from when I was five till I was about 12. Then I started playing bass for about three or four years and then I switched to guitar. When did you uh, join your first band and what was that? First band was in junior high with Kirk Arrington from Metal Church. Um, what was the name of that? Tear. Oh, T-Y-R. Tear. That was our first first band. Yeah, we, you know, obviously played cover tunes, you know. But yeah, that was my first band. We played the high school dances and stuff like that, you know. Were you involved in any other music activities in high school? Oh yeah, I played saxophone in uh, in the in band, and I also played bass in guitar in pep band and all that stuff in high school. Any other uh, fond memories of the high school music programs? No, no. <laughs> <laughs> what was it like growing up in Aberdeen from a musical standpoint, from a cultural well, from standpoint? That, that, at that time, Aberdeen was a booming, bustling logging town yeah. up until about the late 70s when the logging industry shut down, and now it's just horribly, horribly depressed here, you know, for people that depend on the area, but back then, it was just roaring. It was just, it was like crazy. It was great. There were tons of bands and tons of people, and the town was, you know, rich because everybody had good jobs at all the mills and everything, but that changed drastically in the late 70s, early 80s, so and it's just been progressively worse ever since. But back then, it was great. Back then, it was a great place to grow up. Lots going on, you know, real safe, you know, nothing, you know, not a lot of crime and all that kind of stuff, so because it was, a very, you know, it was out on the coast, so it's far, kind of far away from Seattle and stuff, but it was a great place to grow up. What were some of the happening spots or bands that you remember growing up around? Well, I don't know if any bands of any note, but a lot of bands from Seattle were coming down and playing through here. Like Heart was a big part of the, you know, when they were a bar band, they played here a lot. Um, God, who else? Just a lot of the bar bands of the of the time. There was a big circuit that was way before, you know, karaoke and DJs and stuff. So there was a big circuit of all the, you know, Seattle Tacoma bands would come around and play through here. Heart is the only one I can think of right off the top of my head. Yeah, certainly. Uh, yeah. But, uh, yeah, but that whole scene was, you know, vibrant and just going like crazy. So, yeah. So what did you do after high school, after the tier band? Oh, well, I did a couple other bands in high school, and then I quit quit high school in my junior year and moved to Seattle and joined a uh, punk rock band called Balud, and we put out our first single. And what was the first single? Kill Yourself. <laughs> Yeah. 
how did you get involved and join up with the loop? Well, the, there was a punk rock club. Well, punk rock started to kind of, you know, sneak its way into my uh, world through, you know, reading all the, you know, the magazines and stuff. And I was like, hmm, this sounds really interesting. Then I picked up the Ramones' first record, and I went, okay, something's going on here. You know, because it was all really nice and aggressive and powerful yeah. and all that kind of stuff. And, you know, and at, you know, 17, you know, it was great, especially in the late 70s when all your favorite bands started to sell out. Yeah. You know, <laughs> when Emerson, Lake, and Palmer put out Love Beach, I went, okay, <laughs> it's over. You know, and stuff like that. And Frampton puts out I Mean You, and then, you know, it was like, okay. You know, that whole late 70s thing when everything started to change and everything got really corporate, you know. And then here comes, here comes you know, the Ramones and the Dead Boys and the Sex Pistols. And I'm like, oh, I'm in. So you, you know? picked that side so, of the music, yep. Yeah, it's like, okay, I'm going, I'm over here. And then I went up to and saw the Ramones in Seattle and uh, just ran into uh, one of the guys in the band. And, and they, you know, they were looking for a bass player. And so I said, I play bass. And they said, and I went up there for audition, and yeah, so I got the gig. And then I said, Mom, I'm moving to Seattle. <laughs> and I'm, you know, she, she really knew there was no point in fighting it because she, I've been into music since I was five years old, and I never yeah. stopped. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. so she knew that's what I had to do. So that's how I got into that. How band. did you get the stage name of Blabo? Oh, because I was about 150 pounds heavier than I am now. Oh, really? Okay. What yeah. was the music scene like back then? That was like the late 70s, right? Right, right, right. Well, there was a great punk rock scene in Seattle and Portland and, of course, San Francisco and L.A. and all that stuff. Well, there was a scene. And uh, so that scene was really going like crazy for a while. And then the metal thing started creeping in after I relocated with the band to San Francisco. And then the metal thing started creeping in, and that was like the perfect hybrid for me. Uh, because it was like here it had all the aggression and everything and power of punk rock, but yet then all of a sudden the musicality came into it where you really had to play and stuff like that. And I was like, oh, okay, this is getting better. So that's when I got into the metal thing. And that's when I, that's when I started Metal Church. Yeah. So what prompted the move to uh, San Francisco for, of the band? The band relocated down there. I mean, because we pretty much did everything we could do in Seattle. Yeah, so you were like, point. well, we yeah. need to get to a bigger area closer to L.A. or, or whatnot. Is that what the... I yeah, well, yeah, we didn't want to be in L.A. because there's still that stigma of <laughs> yeah. L.A. bands. But, yeah, as you well know. Yeah. Um, but, you know, San Francisco had a really good scene going on. You know, there were a lot of good bands, and there was a lot of excitement and a lot of, you know, a lot of, you know, a lot of life going on there. So we relocated there. And you essentially started Metal Church in San Francisco and then moved it back up Correct. to Aberdeen or Seattle? Aberdeen yeah, first, yeah, yeah. yeah. When did you begin putting together the band that we would know as Metal Church? That would have been after I moved back to Seattle, I mean to Aberdeen. Uh -huh. I put it together with friends that I knew, my drummer, my drummer friend, Kirk Arrington, who was basically my stepbrother, and uh, put it together with my guys I knew here locally. Yeah. And then put it together with the connections that I made down there. You know, we started doing the tape trading thing and recorded and, you know, just kind of started, did it from there. Yeah. And so the reason that you left the lewd was because you enjoyed the musicality and the aggressiveness of the metal music. Right. But you recently rejoined them for some reunion shows in San Francisco. You can talk about that experience? Oh yeah, that that was awesome. That was a yeah, it was a whole punk rock scene reunion, not just the band, but all these bands. We all got we all got together again for a yeah, the SF punk reunion. That was a blast. And actually, it may, uh, we're actually talking about maybe you know putting together a new record. Oh, that would be great. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, I know. I'm really looking forward to it. I just got to get some time to get some songwriting yeah, done. Yeah. So. Uh, but yeah, so yeah, that was a blast to see all those people again and, 
you know, the ones that are still alive. Yeah. <laughs> so know? let's get back to Metal Church. What are some of the highlights from the first Metal Church album and uh, the recording process? Oh, well, the fact is that we went in and didn't really know what we were doing and recorded it. We made the record in 10 days, start to finish, just because we played most of it live. Yeah. Yeah, which was basically, that's how we, that's all we knew. <laughs> and we got lucky. <laughs> <laughs> well, and it, it so, worked. <laughs> yeah, I was like, oh, okay, we should have kept doing that. But unfortunately, <laughs> then after that, then the record companies step in and screw yeah. everything up as usual. Is sure, there something so. to actually recording live as a band in the studio? Is there a difference? Well, me? not a difference, but a, a preference for you as a musician. Would you rather? Oh, yeah. if you can, if you can, if you can do it live. Yeah. If you're rehearsed as a yeah. band and you can record it live, it always, always gives it much more of more life and much more. You know, it's much more exciting. You know, but so it's so hard to do that. You really have to be rehearsed really well to do that. Oh, know? totally. Yeah. So I prefer it if you can, yeah. if you can. And on the new Metal Search record that we're going to be working on is uh we're definitely going to try to do that again if we can yeah the the one album that i kind of like is that uh neil young's ragged glory where they recorded that pretty much the whole thing live and uh it really yeah really yeah out. there's just a vibe yeah. to it and i like the rough edges yeah. and, you know that kind of thing that kind of thing is really i think really important in rock and metal mm -hmm. and stuff because you want it you don't want it perfect it's not supposed to be perfect yeah. Yeah. yeah especially now with the advent of digital and everything you can do you know records today sound just absolutely perfect and i don't like yeah. it from the first Metal Church album, the title track, Metal Church. Now, I heard that there was a rumor at one point that uh, Metal Church members or Metal Church claimed that it was from Kent, Washington. Is that correct or not? Yeah. It is. Yeah. Actually, when we moved when we moved from Aberdeen, we moved up to Kent and rehearsed in Kent. Oh, yeah. that's awesome. That's where I'm actually from. <laughs> oh, no yeah. shit. Yeah, really? <laughs> yeah, we used to, we rehearsed, you know, we had our rehearsal space down on Central Avenue forever. Oh, uh, that's awesome. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, we're actually from Aberdeen, yeah. but we relocated to yeah. Kent. You know, that's where guys had some jobs and we had some, you know, some space. So, yeah, that's where we were based from after we moved out of Aberdeen. What kind of stuff were you doing around Kent as far as jobs go? 
No, I was still living here and commuting, but the rest of the guys were working like for various, just odd, also mill work. Oh and stuff yeah, like the, that. I, did you guys ever play at the Skate King? There was a Skate King in Kent. Oh they yeah, had a Saxon and all the other these bands playing. And yeah, oh yeah, yeah. yeah, oh, yeah. I missed that too. <laughs> Damn. <laughs> um, well, so after the first two Metal Church albums, can you, well actually talk about the second Metal Church album a little bit. So that one wasn't recorded live, right? That was when the record company no, uh-uh. stopped. Yeah, right. That was after we got signed. And then, you know, they brought in a producer for the first time, which is Mark Dodson. Yeah. And, uh, and that was our first experience working with uh, a producer. And, you know, that took three months to make, you know, because we were doing it like, like, like supposedly like the big boys do it, you know, yeah. going in debt massively <laughs> to the record company for studio, you know, and all that kind of stuff. So. You know, and then I, I listen to that record now. I go, wow, the songs and everything were developed when it's way overproduced and it doesn't have nearly the life that it's supposed to and blah, 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 mm-hmm. blah, blah. You know, but learned a lot. That's where I realized how much I was really like the studio thing. Yeah, so, yeah. you know, I learned a lot from him, from Mark Dodson. And, you know, I saw that. So, oh, I get it. I see how you yeah. do it. You know, and that's where my interest in the studio really became extremely intense. So, yeah, so that was basically the second record. You know, we just did it, you know, we did it that way, you know. You know, meticulously working on everything and, you know, and spending, you know, making sure everything was perfect. And as at the time, everything, all the drums were triggered and all that stuff, mm, which I hate yeah. when I hear it now. Yeah. You know, but that was the thing. Oh, it's still, so. it's still a good album. I mean, I, I really like a lot of songs. Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah. People yeah. really like it. But when I listen to it, I'm like, oh, <laughs> God, what the hell were we thinking? Well, you know? here's a funny story, just a side story. When my band, uh, Visitor 42, we recorded our first album. We had no idea what we were doing. We went into another studio to um, remix the thing. We ended up using a drum sampler off of the kick drum <laughs> uh, to sample, and we used this thing called Corporate Rock. That was the setting. <laughs> and we're, and, we're, and we're, we're supposed to be this punk band, right? <laughs> right. Uh, that was yeah. just funny. <laughs> that is funny. How ironic. But Corporate Rock sounded the best. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, that's what you got to say about Corporate Rock. Sonically, it sounds best. It doesn't feel right, exactly. but it sounds good. But, yeah. yeah. It was like, you know, we can't really shine a turd. What do we do with this album? You know, what are we going to do with it? Right, right. <laughs> but it, it worked out all right. So right after on. the first two Metal Church albums uh, and promoting and touring with that, you stopped playing with the band, but you remained as a songwriter. So what happened there? I just wanted, that's like I said, after the... Uh, working on the dark record and realizing that really I was much more interested in the aspect of the creation process and studio. And I wanted to learn how to engineer and make records and, uh, just becoming part of the, the big machine where, okay, here we are, we're starting to succeed, but we're massively in debt to the record company. Yeah. And suddenly you're being controlled, you know, being okay. Now you got to go on the road for this amount of time. Now you got to go on the road for here. You got to go over here. You got to go do this, got to do this, got to do this. And I found that to be very disconcerting. Uh, even though I understood why we were doing it, but all of a sudden it became very obvious how the thing worked, how they're spending a lot of money and giving you, you know, advancing you money that you owe. So basically you become having to work for the record company. And I didn't like that. So, and then that coupled with the fact that I found my interest in the engineering and production aspect of things to be most, much more interested in that. So that's why I said, guys, look, I'm going to do learn how to do this. If you want to go live in a bus and go do that, that's great. <laughs> That's great, and that's yeah. fine. I mean, because I love playing live. I always loved playing yeah. live, but I didn't. I didn't like the whole uh, suddenly becoming, you know, 
controlled by the record company and everybody else wanted to go out and drink beer fuck chicks, yeah. you know, type of thing. Yeah, exactly. And which is fine, that's that's great. Yeah. But for me I was more in, much more interested in wanting to learn how to make records. Musicians musician. And, yeah. Yeah, and that's great. And that was great. I was more power to you guys. You know, sorry I hate to let you down, but I've kind of found something that I need to do for me. And again, not being comfortable with the way the music business worked at that time. And uh just kind of I just was not I just didn't dig that at all what was your involvement in the uh, blessing in disguise because that was the next album correct well i, I wrote and produced yeah. it and didn't play it on it and stuff yeah i worked in the studio with yeah him. some of yeah. my favorite songs like badlands and fake healer are from that album i i, I thought that was a great oh, yeah. album. i thought ba- cool, badlands thanks. is one of probably my favorite metal church songs yeah. oh excellent thanks man. your involvement with Metal Church, you also went on to uh, Hall of Flame and, Van- and the Vanderhoof solo project stuff. Mm-hmm. What were some of the highlights f- for you during that period? Well, for Hall of Flame, it was really great because that, that band just started here in Aberdeen, just really kind of by accident was just a bunch of friends, kind of some of the people that I was in bands with, various bands with through high school. And we just got together and started jamming and it just worked. 
and we ended up writing songs and started playing a few shows around town and it just started working next thing we know we were recording and i was you know learning how to make records so we recorded a demo and and it was just kind of all from very organic very you know just like for all the right reasons put a band together and it worked it was just a straight up rock and roll band and then we put out you know put out the demos and somebody picked it up we got signed to irs and the highlight of that was going out on the road with dc top oh that's great yeah so, <laughs> yeah so that was very cool and then you know unfortunately because of issues with you know alcohol and drugs our lead singer you know ruined everything yeah. so so that thing, that thing tanked, and the whole thing fell apart. And then that's when I just kind of started doing the Vanderhoof thing. But all along this time is you know working more in the studio, learning how to make records, and you know learning, getting better at production, and you know upgrading the studio piece by piece, and you know just still keeping my hand in that. So and songwriting with Metal Church and various other bands. So and then the, then uh, when it got into the uh, the Vanderhoof thing, and just that's where I went. You know, I am just going to make music exclusively to entertain myself and exclusively what I like without thinking about what's hip, cool, and what's going to sell or anything. And that's why I went, like, my favorite stuff is all the 70s rock stuff. Yeah, well. So that's what I did with the Vanderhoof. That's stuff. why they keep playing on the so, radio. <laughs> that's good stuff. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. And I go, that's the stuff I love, and I love the organicness mm -hmm. of it. I still like, you know, using the real Hammonds and, you know, just want to do it all real and keep it, you know, very, I'm very much a purist in that sense. And, so the Vanderhoof stuff, and then Vanderhoof first album came out, and then we ended up touring Europe with Sabotage, which was great. Oh, I love that band too. And then, yeah. yeah, and then uh, you know, then the the continuation of working with people that quit after that. So you know, so everything kept changing and changing and changing and changing. So, but the Vanderhoof project eventually morphed into. A press so band. in 2004, you returned to playing with Metal Church. How did that happen? And what was it like playing with uh, Ronnie Monroe? Because he was a, at that point, he was the third vocalist in the band, correct? Right, right. Well, that just kind of happened because of uh, the last manager of Metal Church um, really was an unscrupulous guy. And really had a lot to do with the band falling ending, but he uh, had took a bunch of money from uh, a record label in Europe for a live album and didn't you know and took it and never gave it back and you know and didn't tell them the record company the band was breaking up. Yeah. So you know I got I got approached you know from this record company to see if we could you know if we could at least put a live album out. So I, when I found uh, I said yeah I have some old master tapes of some live stuff you know, and that kind of thing. And so I put together a live album from a show we did in Dallas, you know, to kind of, you know, fulfill the obligation of this creep who, you know, ripped them off. And in the process of that, it kind of got everybody talking again. And, you know, and we ended up kind of, you know, putting everything back together and I knew did the masterpiece thing, but that just didn't work. Yeah. And so after that, since that was just such a, what I call disaster piece, <laughs> um, and it was just awful. I mean, we had went over and did a tour, did some festivals and it was just awful. It was just one of those moments where you're on stage going, what am I doing? What am I doing? What am I doing? But it was pressure from the record company and management yeah. and all this stuff, you know, typical management going, Oh no, you'll be fine. Go do it. You'll be fine. And I'm going, no, we shouldn't do this. It sucks. It's not working. Oh, you'll be fine. You'll be fine. Then we go do it. And it sucks and it doesn't work. Then I go, what the hell happened? <laughs> I'm like, guys, you know, don't, you know, typical, you know, office yeah, people yeah. crap, you know? So in the process of that going, okay, I need to, I need to redeem. I don't want that to be the last thing that metal church does. Yeah. So, I stumbled across Ronnie Monroe, a friend of mine found, Hey, you should check this guy out. And we found, I found him. He's got some pipes on together. him too. Yeah. He sounds great. Yeah. And it was like, wow, <laughs> this guy could really do this yeah. stuff. 
So I was actually looking for a new singer for Vanderhoof at the time, and then actually met Ronnie. It was like, man, he could really do. He's a serious metal yeah. guy. He could do that old metal search stuff and oh, new yeah. stuff too. Yeah. So I was like, hey, you know, let's give this a shot. So we started kind of working towards that, and it worked out great. Yeah. So, yeah. so that was that was really fun. That was really really fun. And then uh, we had kind of had to call it quits after a little bit because we started uh, things started getting run into the ground. But uh, we're gonna we're gonna approach things quite a bit differently. And so much of that, like the thing being run into the ground and getting burned out, had to do with trying to do things the old way. Yeah when the music business has changed and it's a, you do things differently. Yeah. Well, you can run by your own rules really at this point. That's the way it is now. And that's what we're going to do now, which is going to really change the way we approach it. So that's really kind of exciting now. So, so how does it feel to reunite with all those guys? And, uh, what do you think of the 70,000 tons of metal cruise that's coming up in January? Well, that was the inspiration for us getting back together because they would ask us, they would ask us every year to do it. And it was like, no, no, I'm concentrating on Presto. Really got to get Presto off the ground and do all that. And uh, finally, it was just like, you know, that sounds like fun. And it just kind of felt like I talked to everybody. And it was like, you know, let's do this, but let's do it differently. Yeah. Let's be this, put this band together, make music together, but do it our way. We'll put everything out on my label. Yeah. We'll be in control of everything completely. We're not going to go try to tour around like it's 1986 <laughs> because those days are gone. We're, we're going to play shows where we where we, where people care, where people want to see us. We're not going to go be playing in the middle of nowhere to 12 people. We're not going to try to play every. We're just going to let's do this, have fun with it, and make good music and do it at our pace and put it out, do everything ourselves. Yeah. And suddenly that was like, you know, that sounds really appealing. So having doing that and also doing Presto, you know, is going to keep me plenty busy and plenty musically happy. I'll get my prog yeah, yeahs out and then be able to also do the metal thing too. So Great. So Presto Ballet, awesome band. You know, I really didn't even know about this until a few years ago. Uh, when uh-huh. I started doing this program, I started looking up people that I'd like to contact, and I, I, I found your information. I was, you know, figuring out what Metal Church was doing, and then I was like, oh, wow, this is Presto Ballet stuff, and uh, of course, I'm a huge Rush fan. I love prog rock. There you and, go. <laughs> uh, and uh, I thought, oh, this is brilliant. So you've got four albums under your belt, some great press. Um, I think, you know, I'd like to get the word out to more people about this. You, cool. You've already talked a little bit about this, but what gave you the inspiration to return to this more progressive sound, the 70s sound with the uh, analog synthesizers and complex arrangements? Well, all the 70s thing was definitely started with the Vanderhoof stuff. So that was just kind of like, you know, that's what I love. That's what I like. And then it was just like the Vanderhoof stuff. I just took it one step farther going, you know, I really like this prog rock stuff. You know, I always have. Let me try my hand at kind of trying to come up with that stuff. And then in the process, finding out that there was a new progressive rock scene developing. And then that was really exciting. I'm like, you mean to tell me that there's other people out there that like this too? Yeah. And a lot of it, a lot of that, you know, the progressive rock stuff is because it's so, it's so pure. It's about music only. It's not about having hit singles. It's not about being cool. It's not about being pretty. It's not about being anything other than writing really good music without having to fit it into three and a half, four and a half minutes, you know, and which is very much kind of the approach of metal. But the thing that I like about the progressive rock thing is that you can get really heavy, you can be really melodic, you can be really ethereal, you can be all over the map. And as a writer and a, someone who likes to create, it's just such a wonderful template to work from. 
because you have no limitations. Yeah, you've got some great dynamics in those songs too. Um, what are some? Yeah, and that's what that's yeah. exactly it. Yeah, yeah. And again, the analog synths and all that stuff in the band. I just like the purity and the organicness of it, and recording on tape. Too, oh, so. yeah, and we'll get to that in a minute too. But what would you say are some of your favorite tracks or highlights from the four albums that you put out? We have five albums. Oh, yeah, out, five yeah. albums. Oh, no. Yeah, I better do it. Yeah. What's the fifth one? That's not Relic for the Modern. Relic is the fifth oh, one. Oh, it is. Relic is okay. the fifth one. First one is Peace Among the Ruins. Yeah. Second one is Lost Art of Time Travel. Third, third one is Invisible Places. And the fourth one we called an EP, but it's basically an album. It's called Love What You've Done with the Place. And then the fifth one is uh, Relic yeah, of the Modern Yeah, okay. World. I got you. Okay, so I guess I was... Yeah. Confusing the EP with the uh, the other stuff. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. No problem. Oh, well, good. Well, thanks for uh, updating me on that. Um, oh, no but, problem. So, getting back to that question, what's your what are some of your favorites? Oh boy. Well, I really liked the song "Relic of the Modern World." That was my first attempt at writing. You know, my my uh, you know twenty one twelve my hemisphere opera type. You know thing, the yeah. one. Yeah, the whole one side of an album uh-huh. length song. You know, so I really really like that, and I really really like our new singer. So, and that's working. The lineup now is really cool. I really yeah, I, I like I mean, it too. I, I like working with um, But I really like that. I do like the first album a lot because it was my first stab at that, and it really has a good vibe to it. Um, the song uh, One Tragedy at a Time off Lost Art of Time Travel, I really dig. And, um, oh, yeah, there's just, there's, I don't know. I just like all of I mean, they're all your babies, so it's kind of hard. <laughs> yeah, it's like, who's your favorite kid, you know? <laughs> Well, probably every song's got a story to it, and we won't go through every single one. Yeah, you know, in one way or another, yeah. So Relic of the Modern World, can you tell us a story about that song in specific? Yeah, it's about a guy named Andy Rotman, who is just basically your basically everyday guy, you know, who has a typical job in this society of today where everything is digitally driven. You know, everything is computers and Facebook and MySpace and... You know, everything's email and everything's digital and everything is on his iPhone. And if you don't have a phone and your Twitter and blah, 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 blah. <laughs> well, he gets, he gets fed up with all this, right? Yeah. And he decides, well, I wonder if I got rid of all this stuff. If I deleted my email, didn't use my computer anymore, got rid of my cell phone, I wonder if people would think I would actually disappear. Well, what happens is, is he gets sick of it. He does get rid of all his digital stuff and he actually does disappear. <laughs> I've been living at light speed With too much information in my head But what I need is a good sleep That superhighway is running through my bed Disconnect from space and
the follow-up to that, the next Presto album is going to be a double album, and it's going to be the story of where Andy goes after, he's, after he disappears. Yeah. After he disappears. Well, that's great. I'm looking forward to that one. Me yeah. too. It's going to be fun. <laughs> Have you already <laughs> written it, or are you working on it? No, yeah. no, no. I haven't written it yet, but it's all it's all percolating right now. I'm concentrating on a new Metal Church record and getting ready for the seventy thousand tons yeah. of metal. But perfect. When do yeah. you think the uh, new Metal Church record will be out? And do you have a, a title for uh, it? Hopefully, uh, late spring. Oh, okay. Well, that's... yeah. And then the new Presto should be out before. So you're already heavily you're already heavily engaged on that one then. Or both of them. Yeah. Really. Oh yeah. Okay. So what you were talking about with Relic is a great lead into my next question for listening to music. Do you prefer digital MP3 formats or vinyl, and why? Vinyl because it sounds better, yeah. and that's the way you know. But I do enjoy, uh, I do love my iPod and yeah. having you know that much music available to listen to, like when I'm working out and just travel with it. So that's a cool thing about about MP3s. But that's only for headphone use. Yeah. But if I listen to something in speakers, definitely vinyl. Can you describe to people why vinyl sounds better than uh, MP3s? Well, MP3 is, uh, I mean, even even just your regular CD, it sounds better. MP3s are, are fine for, uh, you know, for, for headphones and things like that because they're, a lot of the, the resolution is smaller, so the file size is smaller. So you can get a lot of it on you know, in an iPod and a lot of it in your listening, you know, your whatever format you listen to. So it's a lot thinner and it doesn't have a lot of the, the presence and not as robust yeah. as like as a regular CD AIFF file, yeah. which is what, you know, what a CD is. So but the thing about digital and listening to CDs that I don't like as opposed to vinyl is because every all records now are mixed and finished to mastered to be listened to on iPod. Yeah. So... The bass is way, way, way over-exaggerated, <laughs> and, and the high end is way, way, way over-exaggerated, and the volume and is compressed and so loud that it's just there's no dynamics to it mm, anymore. Yeah. So you, you listen to it on vinyl, everything's in the right spot to where it sounds natural and much more organic. And it's just much more easier. To, it's much, much easier to listen to. And it's not, it's not ones and zeros flying at you. It's actual vibrations yeah. that, are, that you're listening now, to. Now, is that in the mastering process, stuff is mastered specifically for vinyl as a compared to the iTunes world? I mean, yeah. okay. Yes, yeah. absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. if you were going to listen to Presso Ballet, vinyl, definitely the way to go. What kind of uh, stereo configuration or setup do you use? Oh, I just, I have just a, uh, you know, a good Pioneer turntable and any kind of, you know, any kind of receiver that has, you know, a good phono input, you know, and just good, good speakers that, you know, that move air, yeah. you know, so it's really pretty easy. It's not nearly as complicated. <laughs> well, do you, you know? have an analog stereo or do you use a digital stereo? Oh, okay, yeah. you have analog. Okay. Yeah. yeah oh, yeah. I listen, I, all I listen to now pretty much is vinyl. Yeah. I only will buy uh, CDs if whatever I'm listening yeah. to or whatever I want to get isn't available. But your vinyl. receiver's tube-based. That's, I guess, what I'm trying to get at. Oh, yeah. No, okay. no, no. My, my, it, the actual receiver that I have, it's a late 70s Sansui. Ah. It's, not, it's, it's, it's integrated, but you yeah. know, it's, you know, it's designed for a turntable. Oh, yeah. so. oh, great, right. 
Yeah, it just sounds a lot more natural. It's just warmer. Mm. It's not, again, not so exaggerated in the low end, and the high end isn't so brittle, and, you know, and everything isn't so over-compressed, so it's just loud, but no dynamics and all that stuff, you know. That stuff sounds fine on headphones, mm. you know, on your MP, on mm. your iPod, but to actually put it on speakers, it sounds horrible. Yeah. You know, I know. <laughs> yeah. The, yeah. You know what I mean? I, well, yeah. you know, I don't, I don't, I'm basically, I've gone to a digital format. I've got a bunch of vinyl albums and I actually want to get back into vinyl and, uh, I want to get myself. Oh, I've been digging. I've been last six yeah. months. I've been just scouring any yeah, exactly. record store I can find and digging up, you know, buying only mint copies of old records and, you know, putting them all in plastic bags yeah. and washing them and cleaning them. And I'm rebuilding my vinyl yeah. collection because I have all the records I had from a kid, but they're all kind of beat yeah. up. <laughs> but I'm rebuilding my vinyl collection and having a blast and also buying, you know, buying new ones, you know, whatever, because all the re reissues on vinyl is just awesome. All the 180 gram vinyl stuff. That sounds just yeah. Killer. I know. I'm... What do you think about uh, Neil Young's Pono? That's his analog or a digital analog converter system. Have you heard about that at all? No. He's, he's uh -uh. trying to get record companies to re-release stuff in a really high quality digital format um, with his new. With he's got a new player technology that um, is supposed to basically convert the digital back to an analog sound and play it back. And um, everybody. Oh, yeah, really? everybody said it's really fat. Yeah, uh, do Neil Young Pono search, and uh, you can find some information about it. Oh, I definitely will do that. That sounds very interesting. Yeah, and so he like had a copy of Aretha Franklin's Respect and was blasting in his car for some people, um, like Flea, and uh -huh. uh, they were really digging on it. Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm kind wow. of excited about it, because really, when I get MP3s from like Amazon and whatnot, it just it doesn't sound as good as... You know, when I was listening to um, Rush and the Scorpions and all those other bands on my um, my parents' yeah. stereo when it was so full, I was exactly, like, buddy, exactly. <laughs> rocked. There's a reason. Yeah. There's yeah. a reason. All right, so here's a question that I like to ask everybody that's on the show. What does music mean to you? Everything. It's what I'm here to do. It's my purpose in life. It's what, what makes life worth living for me. It's not only is what I do and what my passion, but it also, you know, it also is the thing that wakes me up in the morning. It's the thing that fulfills me. I mean, even beyond relationships yeah, and things like that. It's, it's, it's why I'm here. So that's, yeah, that's, that's what it means to me. I would say, um, a lot of people use that word, everything <laughs> when I ask them that question, yeah. but you know, that's all right. That's all good. Well, yeah, and that's, I think, and that's people, I mean, people like, you know, myself yeah. that are, you have to, I mean, and that's, and the creation of good music is, you know, it's a very, you know, it's, it's a, gives you purpose, it gives you direction, it gives you a trajectory, you know, and that's why I have such a hard time with rap and hip hop and, and what, and the digital age with music is because it's made it so disposable, yeah. you know, especially with MP3s and CDs, it makes the whole thing so disposable that I, that really bothers me in my spirit because it's not supposed yeah. to be, yeah. you know, and everybody now could buy a computer and suddenly they think they're a songwriter and musician and, you know, okay, yeah, you can have the equipment to do it, but if you don't know what you're doing, you know, you still suck. <laughs> and the fact that rap and hip hop now has dropped the standards in the bar so low of what's acceptable as pop music yeah. that it really, really offends me. Yeah. And, you know, and now, I mean, we've always had pop and that kind of thing, which is fine. But, you know, you listen to the stuff that, you know, that's currently popular in the top 40. You know, there's no musicians anywhere in that, you know. 
and everything is so completely, you know, pitch the vocals are pitch corrected, mm. you know, and there's no not a real drummer in the building, you know. And it's just like, or it's so, it's so fixed digitally. There's no soul. There's no nothing left in it. So that's why I have such a hard time with it and try to keep everything that I do as true and organic as I can. I keep using that word organic, but it's, I guess, make it, keep it pure, you know, at least for rock and roll. Cause it's supposed to be, Yeah, that's the way it was intended. That's the way it was intended. You know? So this, unfortunately, this generation is having a hell of a time because most of them are half-baked musical idiots, <laughs> you know, and <laughs> And, you know, so that's why there's yeah. no good bands anymore. Yeah. I mean, except there's few, certainly exceptions. Like one of my favorite bands in the world right now is The Darkness. I'm like, you know, finally, a rock band with attitude. and That's you know, what I was like, going to ask. Yes, uh, thank you for that. Yeah, what, what other bands should people know about? Well, The Darkness's new album is one of the best rock albums yeah. ever. And uh, they're just a fantastic band, and they completely get it. Yeah. I mean, they're doing it right. And I, I really hope there's more bands that are going to follow in their footsteps. Mm-hmm. And uh, Porcupine Tree is amazing, which I'm sure you know. Their new, oh, the most recent Opeth album was really impressive to me because, I mean, as far as along the lines of prog rock, you know, because he, got, he quit doing that stupid Cookie Monster stuff, <laughs> which I think, I, think if you, I think that should be outlawed. Because <laughs> um, I just, I mean, you hear this great heavy killer rock mm-hmm. music or music, you know, just great guitar that sounds great, and then the vocals come in. <laughs> I'm like, oh well, they just obviously now. Stop. Yeah, I I because, really don't like the that kind of vocal. Well, it yeah. ruins it. Like, yeah. what the hell is that? Like everybody else in your you band know? is good, and then you got to go <laughs> barf all over it. What's up? Yeah, and then you just suddenly that means oh, so the rest of you guys in your band can play, <laughs> but they obviously can't listen. So there you go. You know uh, exactly. Yeah, so that yeah. kind of stuff I have a lot of trouble with, but you know, you know, there's yeah, and there's a lot of these new prog bands that are. are you know, that are, you know, really kick ass, you know, IQ is a great, well, they're not new, but IQ is a great band, you know, Wobbler is a great band, Flower Kings is a great band, you know, where these are all music bands that are about music and playing and being good musicians, all the right reasons, you know, that we got into music in the first place, you know. I, you know, if people ask, well, how do you feel being being old? I was like, you know, I wouldn't want to be a kid now. I mean, I grew up, you know, yeah. I got to go see Zeppelin, exactly. you know, and I got to go see that stuff. Yeah. And I saw Rush open for Kiss. Yeah. Oh, you know, that's I, awesome. I, yeah. I, saw, I saw those shows, man. <laughs> I wouldn't trade that for a, for anything, you know. So to be a kid now, to be 15 and trying to find your bands now, it's like, ooh. Describe you know, the first time wow. that you saw Zeppelin. Oh, it was on the House of the Holy Tour. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that was like, you know, I snuck out of the house. <laughs> You know, what was my my friend and his older brother took us, and it was like unreal. You know, it was just a whole other world. You know, so you know that kind of stuff, man. You don't, you know, that stuff doesn't happen again. You know, yeah. Now that was a band that had some people that knew how to play their instruments. That's for sure. And they knew how to write, yeah. and they knew how to be cool. Yeah. And they knew how, the whole thing. That's another thing about vinyl that mm-hmm. I love, and why I put out the new album on vinyl and made the record, designed the album not only song-wise and sonically and length of the album and everything for vinyl, is because you also, it's the artwork, too, that you miss. Remember buying oh, an totally. album and wondering if you got a, po- wondering if you got a poster yeah. and opening it up and seeing pictures and being able to read the liner notes and all that kind of stuff, you know, yeah. where, you know, and so that's what was really important to me on this record to, for the vinyl because there's a poster in it, and you open it up and there's more artwork and so the whole experience isn't just about listening, mm-hmm. even though that's certainly priority one. 
but it's also about the artwork that accompanied the music. Mm-hmm. You know, that is a you know, that's also a lost art form too. Yeah. So, so that's you know, I want to do make sure that my music from now on has that element as well. question for you and this one is about the other Kurt from uh, Aberdeen <laughs> what was your relationship did you know him um, he obviously was inspired by you on some levels I, I know that yeah well I don't know I'm you know I you know I'm you know well the Melvin yeah. who are around you know part of that exactly. whole thing you know I read a couple I read an interview with Buzz and he just slam-basted me <laughs> oh, yeah. and I have no idea why yeah I have no idea why we were, I thought we were friends. I mean, we yeah. certainly weren't best buds, yeah. but I was their first lead singer and cause they were playing punk covers and I'd love the Melvins. I thought they were great, yeah. you know? And then, then he just started talking all this shit about me and I like, okay. So that made me kind of go, well, maybe the fact that Cobain spelled his name, K U R D T, mm-hmm. you know, maybe that was the cool thing to do for that crowd because we were the metal guys and they were the grunge guys and we weren't cool. They were cool. So let's make fun of them, you know? So I don't know. I can, it's either that or maybe they thought I was, maybe that I was influential. I don't know. I think more I tend after seeing what I've seen and knowing those guys, I think they, 
I don't know. I think they thought it was pretty funny to, you know, think that metal guys, those metal guys, especially me, was a joke or something. So, <laughs> yeah, but did, I mean, know, those well, guys I, knew what your history was, and I mean that you were from, uh, from you know, the lewd and whatnot. Well, they used to come to our yeah, rehearsals. Exactly. You know, we we left town. We left town and was successful. And you know, I had the history of the punk thing. Yeah. I mean, Buzz used to Buzz borrowed all my punk rock albums and went and listened to them with Cobain. So it wasn't those particular albums. It was my exact albums that were, you know, influenced those guys, you know? And so I guess maybe for a minute they thought I was cool because of my punk history or something, but then I guess maybe it's cooler to make fun of the metal guys. And maybe it was cooler. Maybe it was cooler for them to, you know, think I'm a big, big big joke or something. So make them feel cooler. Yeah. I I don't think that's true at all though. I mean, because there was a ton of metal influences in the Melvins. I mean, they released a whole, they they released like kiss albums of themselves, you know, and stuff. And, uh, well, I don't know, man. It it was, I would, what I get, like I said, when I read that, you know, a couple of things, I was shocked. I was like, what? You know, what the hell? Where's all this coming from? So, you know, it, it could be either way. I don't know. I really don't have an answer for that. I've been wondering that a long time. So, you know, when I saw that on Bleach, him spelling his name K-O-R-D-T, yeah. I was like, wow, that's either an acknowledgement or a slam. I don't oh, know. No, that, then I'd say, <laughs> actually, even on the Nevermind release, I, um, I was in college. I went to the uh, Coast Guard Academy of all places, if you can believe that. Started getting into Nirvana because I was from Seattle originally, and uh, people right, were sending right. me these tapes of you know the Sub Pop 200 and all these things, and I was like, wow, this right. is a whole different world of you know than from what I listened to, and I started right. getting into that, and uh, I got a, a letter signed with you know by Kurt with the same spelling of your name, um, K U R D T. So it was weird, it was interesting. <laughs> Um, you know, I, who I, knows? I mean, if I ever run into Chris yeah. again, you know, I will yeah. ask him about that. But I do have a couple of bones to pick with the Melvins. Oh, yeah, yeah. Okay. Let's I'm hear like, it. You know, because reading those interviews, again, now I'm not saying they said it because I also know some journalists like to create stuff. Oh, sure, yeah, yeah, definitely. <laughs> yeah, so I don't know. Maybe somebody told him that I was talking shit about him, <laughs> which I never did because I liked yeah, the Melvins yeah. a lot. But I never, t- you know, I never saw I, 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 it's something I want to find out. Yeah. You know, I just, I'm curious because reading that was like, I was kind of like, out. Yeah. You know, I mean, because yeah. I thought we were kind of, we were kind of, you know, friends. I mean, not best buds, yeah. but, you know, I, you know, Buzz and I were so friends. So you, you really you haven't know. talked to him since that whole period then. That's a long no, time. Uh, wow. No. Yeah. Well, I ran into Buzz when they played Olympia maybe about 10 years yeah. ago. And they were a lot different than I remembered yeah. them, but it was, you know, good yeah, to yeah. see them and say, uh, say all that. And I said, hey, well, you know, God, boy, you guys are really weird because they, they are really weird. <laughs> yeah, that's true. And they, do it in, and they do it intentionally, but, you know, it was like, I don't know. I don't understand it, yeah. you know. I don't, I don't know what happened. Yeah, so. Yeah. so just, you know, someday I'll find out. Yeah, their drummer, um, Dale, played in a band called Altamont and also in Acid King, I think, or maybe that was his wife. And we ran into them uh-huh. in Al's bar in L.A. And he actually, we played a cover of Floyd the Barber off of the first, the, the Bleach album. And he walked up to me uh-huh. and he gave me this guitar case that was from uh, Kurt. Uh, and he goes, hey, I, I was going to, I'm not going to give you the guitar, but I'll give you the guitar case. It was this really ratty thing. And I talked to him for a while. And he seemed really uh-huh. cool. I mean, I don't know. I, I thought, I th- and I've always liked the Melvins when I've seen them play live and, and stuff. 
Yeah, you know, yeah, it's not my, necessarily my thing, but, you know, I mean, we were already, you know, they're from Monty, they're from the, you know, same little crappy little area that yeah, we're yeah. from, and, you know, it was like Metal Church is from here, yeah. and then Nirvana's from here, and Melvin's are from here, and, you know, and, and you know, and I know all those guys, and we were all kind of yeah. part of the whole thing, and so to read press like that, where they're, you know, like Buzz is saying all this shit, you know, that I'm a noxious fucker and all this stuff, I'm just like, huh. Yeah, sounds like just a bunch of like, BS, what? but um, you know, well, I'll get to I'll get yeah. to the bottom of it. Damn it, I'll let you know. <laughs> yeah, well, hey, that'd be great. I'd love to know because I really, you know, I mean, that was like, you know, I don't know where that was yeah. coming from because I certainly certainly don't feel that way about them. So, so. getting back to uh, your earlier roots, Metal Church, what was it like to be put into the EMP? That was very yeah. cool. That was very cool. That was really an honor. That was like. That was that. Sometimes that kind of stuff's hard for me to process. <laughs> yeah, you know, it's like you that's, know, that's so like the Seattle that, that, um, version of the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, really. You know, right, right, exactly. I mean, that's you know, that's you know, that's pretty awesome. <laughs> you know, that's that's a, quite an honor. That's quite flattering. That's what. What else can you say? We're you know? Just about here to wrap it up. Maybe you can comment more specifically on what is your writing process? How do you write songs? Well, for me, I write the music first. And then if I'm working with a project that has a lead singer, I always like to give them first crack at writing the words because I feel singers sing better and perform better when they're writing, they're singing their own stuff. Yeah. But if they don't, if they don't have anything or aren't inspired, or if I actually am inspired lyrically first, then I'll write it. But my process is write the music first, then the melody line, and then the words, because I like to see what kind of, what the music makes me think about. You know, this music sounds like this kind of vibe, and I should say something like this, you know. So I'm definitely a music person first, and I know a lot of people are the exact opposite. Yeah. So. so when you're writing the music, are you are you thinking about a specific theme, or does it just flow from your body, and that's what happens? I just like to let it yeah. flow. Yeah, whatever mood I'm in, it's like, okay, I feel like writing a song that sounds like this. Yeah. You know, and then I just let it yeah. go. Yeah. You know, who are some of the folks that have inspired you personally that we haven't talked about? And this could be from a musical context or a personal context. Uh, musical context would be Pete Townsend, uh, just mainly because of just his writing. Yeah, he was more of a writer than you know, and a guitar player, but not like a virtuoso guitar player. And he made some of the best music with the same three chords. And I just respected that because it seemed so soulful to me. So, you know, from that respect, definitely, uh, definitely Pete Townsend is uh, probably my idol hero kind of thing. Other than that, it's just a whole bunch of different stuff. I can't really pinpoint it. It's just kind of, you know, there really isn't the one specific thing. So again, it's very general. I don't know. I wouldn't even really know how to start. Yeah, lots of seventies <laughs> influences, obviously though. Yeah. Yeah. All that stuff, you know, definitely all that stuff. Rush, Kansas. Yes. Genesis ELP. And then you got your right heap and sticks and sex pistols and New York dolls. I love yeah. and early. I love the early seventies glam stuff. Really love Roxy Music and David Bowie and Sweet and Slade and just an Alex Harvey band. And I mean, oh, I just, yeah. there's just tons, <laughs> tons and tons and tons, you know. So, and I just, that's what I love about music. It's just tons of it. I love the Moody Blues and, yeah. you know, just 
all kinds of stuff. And I love good pop rock too, when it's actually a rock band playing yeah, pop. Yeah. You know, I you know stuff like that. You know, ELP. You know, everything. So who's that doggy in the background? That's Harvey, and I don't know what his problem is. <laughs> That's all right. Come here. <laughs> <laughs> what about uh, otherwise? Instead of musicians, anybody else inspire you besides the musician? No. no. All right. <laughs> <laughs> so let's really. cut to the chase. What is next for Kurt Vanderhoof and all of your projects and bands? What are you going to be able to promote? Also list off your websites and all that stuff. Oh, yeah. Well, first, next order of business is writing, uh, uh, trying to write the best possible metal church record possible. Hallelujah. <laughs> I'm looking forward to that. <laughs> yeah, trying to do that and then getting ready for the 70,000 tons of metal. And, um, yeah, and working on the new Metal Search record and then, you know, getting Presto out playing live as much as possible. You know, we're looking to start soliciting, uh, um, start soliciting the uh, progressive rock festivals all over the world because we went and did, we played a club date up in Seattle a couple months ago and it was just like, you know, there's really no point in us doing this. Mm. You know, <laughs> there's yeah. no, you know, there's no point in just playing to a regular, you know, metal crowd yeah. or a regular Saturday night club in Seattle. Cause they don't know what the hell we're doing. So let's just focus on the people that are into this kind of yeah. music. So we're going to be soliciting, uh, you know, getting out and trying to get on some of the prog festivals and get, I want to get Presto out playing as much as possible. So next order of business is write the metal search record. And also, uh, Presto is going to be doing a video. So for broken. Time. Oh, great. That'll be good. Yeah. yeah so I'll figure, well, that'll be a way to get business, stay visible. Yeah. And we need to start doing that anyway. So is there anything else you'd like to talk about that we might've uh, not covered? Not, not that I can think of, man. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> we covered a lot of ground. <laughs> oh yeah. It's great, man. No, that's a proper interview. Yeah. So, <laughs> well, and I thank you so much for uh, your participation in this. And, uh, Oh, my man. pleasure, man. My pleasure. Thanks again to Kurt Vanderhoof from Presto Ballet and Metal Church. Presto Ballet, Relic of a Modern World, on sale now. Check out their website at prestoballet.com. 70,000 tons of metal is going to be happening on January 28th through February 1st. Four days, 40 bands, one cruise ship, only 2,000 tickets. Might be too late to get tickets to that, but it's going to be quite the event. We got one more song for you. This is off of Presto Ballet's debut album, Peace Among the Ruins, and it's the title track, Peace Among the Ruins. Wait, wait, wait. 
Thanks again for checking out Music Live Radio. I'm your host, Dan Sauter, and we'll catch you next time. I can sing you tender songs of love. I can give you merry names and joyous laughter. I can transport you to the realms of peace.